Hello and welcome. I'm Heather. I'm John. So Laura had a family emergency. She couldn't make it in this week. She feels really bad. She like keeps apologizing. I keep telling her it's not a big deal, you know. Um, but yeah, so it's just you and me and I know we can do it. We found out two nights ago. So uh, I asked you very quickly to throw together a story. I started throwing out ideas and you, you know, you had your own idea. So yeah, yeah, luckily, uh, when I was in school, um, I learned how to do a 1,500-word essay on anything, given an hour and access to the library. Yeah. And I had a little bit more time than that, and I had access to the beautiful, wonderful World Wide Web, so I was able to put together some notes last night for my story today. Yeah. Um, thank you for being here last minute. Really appreciate it. Um, I do live nearby. You do live nearby. Luckily, we're good friends. <laughs> You and I. Known each other for a while. That's yeah, good 18 years. Yep. Um, but anyway, so yeah, uh, I started a job on Monday. I'm too embarrassed to say where because I feel like it's a step down. Everyone keeps insisting it's not a step down, that it's just a placeholder. It's like it doesn't matter. The feelings are there. But just like my second day at work, since we're talking about horrible things... So the first day was fine, kind of awkward, very simple, simple decorations. But the second day at work, I don't know. I have like a lot of worry and anxiety when I'm talking to people. So I tend to get a lot of stress and anxiety over things, especially in social situations. I've never been very good at conversations or talking to people or relating in any way of any kind. And uh, the first weird thing I say, because I have a mouth and I like can't stop myself is I start talking about that Southern, they're talking about Southernisms or something. And I bring up that one of like, you're like a, what is it? Like you're a pig smiling in the sunshine or something like that. A dead puppy laying in the sunshine. Okay. Happier than a dead puppy laying Happier, in the sunshine. Happier. Cause I was like something about a pig in sunshine. And then I was like, Oh fuck. And now I'm, now I'm too far in. Now it's like, I'm going to have to explain what I'm talking about. Cause they're all giving me, really confused looks and for valid reasons and i i say no it's when like you know like when a pig like dies and it's sitting in the sunshine and its lips start to kind of peel back into a creepy smile so it's like it's talking about you know you're you're so oblivious you're just so happy you know and they're all like just staring at me and luckily the the baker dude steps in with a good funny a real like a tr a better story than I had where he talks about something about like butter in a bowl or something like that but thank god he like came in and saved the day because otherwise if it had ended on that note it would have just been such an awkward silence and then the second thing I did shoot what was it oh you know, having learned about the poison squad and the FDA and they were talking about food going bad and then I and then I bring up the fucking maggot milk, you know, talking about hot buckets of milk in the sun full of maggots. And then that ends in awkward silence. It's like fucking great. I'm off to a great start. So this is my second day. And then the last thing I do, again, it just fucking comes out of me. I'm on my way out. I'm halfway to the car. They have to call back to me. Heather, you forgot your Fitbit. I'm like, fuck. So then I've got to walk back, get it. But as I'm leaving... One of the girls, because they're all super fucking young, they're all in like, the one girl's not even 20 yet. I'm like, fuck, I'm, I'm so old here. Uh, 
but one of the girls, she's saying goodbye. She's saying I love you to like an older guy. And I don't know if that's like her dad or her boyfriend, because who am I to judge? You know, we've got we've got 15 and a half years between us. Right. Um, so she's saying she says, I love you to the guy as he's walking out. And then my instinct is to turn back and I finger gun at her. I go, love you too, girl. And then I walk out. And I'm like, so this is my second day. I'm out the door. This is the end of my second day. I've talked about dead pigs. I've talked about maggot milk. And I told some random girl that barely knows my name that I love her. This is a rough start for Heather at her new job. And I'm worried because I know me, who I am, it's only going to get worse from here. Right? I mean, they'll, they'll get used to you, you know. You'll prove, you'll prove yourself as a useful mammal enough to them that they'll, they'll forgive you your idiosyncrasies. I, I really hope so, because I feel like the second they finally start to get used to me, I'm going to quit. <laughs> like, they're going to invest all this time into trying to understand who I am as a human being, and then I'm just going to dip. So I just am worried. <laughs> I'm worried. I'm already planning on apologizing to her when I get in. I, I can't let it go because it already kind of kept me awake last night thinking about it. Like, that was a mistake. So now that's all I can think about. It's all I've thought about all day because, well, like the other thing too, sorry, with the thing with Laura, the fact that she, she wasn't going to make it in, <coughs> excuse me, um, we had to change at the last minute. I was preparing to do Texas with her because she wanted to cover Texas. And then I didn't want to take that from her. So then we just jumped into Kansas, but I was not prepared for Kansas. So I had basically a day and a half to try to get my Kansas thing together, which in the middle of doing, I realized it didn't really specifically adhere, like, you know, adhere to our standards of state by state. It it's not really even about Kansas at all. So I just kind of had to run with it. But when I wasn't panicked about that, I was thinking about how I said, I love you to that girl and how I was going to have to apologize to her tomorrow and how horribly embarrassed I am that that just came out of me because she looked confused and looked back and went, love you too. <laughs> like what the fuck <laughs> did you just say to me? See, because I've always got an easy out when I make little faux pas like that. I can yeah. just tell people, and they believe me because it's true that I've been hit in the head a lot. I just apologize, and I move on with my life. And I'm worried because, you know, young women, and well, really old women, and old, old guys and young, really just people. People love to talk shit, but especially when they're younger. And I'm so concerned. I'm like, I got some gray hair. I'm definitely older. My my bones ache all the time. I bend down like an old man, you know, I'm sure it has not gone unnoticed. Not that they're mean. They're actually incredibly sweet, very nice people, but it's like, I'm sure they're just like all wondering, like trying to guess my age. I don't know. I don't know why I'm even worried about it, but the first day she bought everybody lunch, which we didn't realize was also for us. We heard someone make a comment about how it wasn't for one of the new people so we just assumed we were not invited but she like bought it for the back anyway um an, a girl just walks in right during lunch and she goes what's the sitch on lunch and then another girl answers we got nugs and i was like i am too fucking old to be here what am i <laughs> surrounded by so like 
incredibly nice. So like much brighter and smarter than I was at 21, you know, but it's like, I feel really out of place here. Like I'm surrounded by youth and it doesn't feel right. You know, like my friends are either my age or older with the exception of Laura. She is the only person that I hang out with and she, Laura's an old soul. So I feel like I can relate to her. <coughs> that's uh, that's the sitch with me well, at my new job. I mean, I'm the second oldest person in my department. Yeah. Um, I saw what looked to all intents and purposes a teenage boy walking through the restricted area at work, and I said, <laughs> somebody's son got loose. You said little boy. <laughs> no, I, I didn't care. Yeah. But I just made a comment to a coworker. It's like somebody's kid got loose because, no, that's a project manager. You're like, yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> I've got underwear older than this guy, you know? <laughs> Which is a problem that needs to be remedied quickly, if that's the case. <laughs> well, it's not, I'm not wearing it right now. Yeah, I. that's how I feel right now. And it's, I can't explain it. Because the owner is my age, you know? It's like, uh, I'm working alongside a, a veteran 19-year-old at this place. <laughs> this sucks. I know it's just, I know it's just a placeholder, but it's, it's hard when it's like right there, you know, like Heather, you've really done it this time. I mean, I could see it from the other direction too. I was a young 19 year old artilleryman and I had to pull overnight duty with uh, what I considered a much, much older human being. This, this guy had glasses, his knees were shot. He's waiting a medical discharge. He's like 28 years old. He's you know, don't steal my thunder here, but you know, he's missing a couple of fingers. He's busted up oh my from God. almost 20 years on the artillery line. Yeah. You know, it really, it really wears into a body. So I, sometime during the night, you know, when he had his hearing aids turned on, I said, Hey, Sarge, if you don't mind, how old are you? And he looked he dead in the eye and goes, I'm 35. And that's what I decided I needed to get out of the artillery and find something else to do. Uh. Sorry, uh, well, we've been watching Hawkeye, and I love that he has a hearing aid. And they're like, why do you need a hearing aid? And it just shows, oops, my mic hit the water. But it just shows the the many explosions he's he's many, endured. Many, many explosions. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you you know, you were the same boat, essentially, except, you know, you, I, I, I mean, it was I a piece save, of machinery. I didn't save New York. You didn't save New York. I just had a hundred. You didn't fight the, you know, alien I didn't fight the Chitauri or anything hole. like that. Yeah. I just blew large holes in Fort Sill and fired 103,000 rounds of artillery. I forget. Didn't you, didn't you guys blow away a goat one time when you were, no? No, we didn't. Oh. No, no goats, no goats died during the making of that film. Although the uh, Rangers came from Fort Benning and ate our mascot, who was a that's, goat. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. After Aww. they spray-painted his buddy the donkey infantry blue, which also led to his demise, not because of the spray paint, but because of the moron they sent to take the paint off the donkey, poured uh, a gallon of mineral spirits all over him, which uh, apparently is really, really tough on donkeys. And it didn't yeah. even take oh, the paint off. Oh, no, little donkey. <laughs> yeah, so Big Deuce didn't make it, and then oh short, round, short Round was the goat that got eight. Jesus. Rangers, so... are, Rangers are tough cats, man. <laughs> oh, my God. Some of the horror stories you talk about, the army, there are days where I'm like, enough with the fucking army. But, like, other days, me it's, too. Like, it's like, tell me more about the fucked up shit you guys did that would will 
may inevitably one day lead to your incarceration. <laughs> one day they just take you away in handcuffs from the many things you did. Oh, the statute of limitations is over on all that stuff. That's true. I uh, I think often about our friend Dirty Bob and the, the many harrowing tales that he told. Because I sat next to him at Cynthia's and... Um, I would, if we got bored, I'd be like, well, just, you know, cause you would do it in increments. And I, if I got bored, I'd be like, Bob, tell me a story. And then he would just go off on this tale. Something that is like this, like your life is like a fucking Coen brothers movie. How, how have you gotten through this far? I'd often, I'd often told him that if he did join the army, it got easier on him, <laughs> even even in combat. <laughs> and like, I loved him so much. He passed away from cancer years ago. But uh, I wish, I wish I could have heard more stories about him. You know, stories he would just be like, and then I, after the, you know, the cops were chasing me, so I just drove into a cornfield and got away. You know, like he would just tell <laughs> shit like that. Uh, through my McDonald's, I threw a fit in a McDonald's, bur- you know, threw a burger against a wall, like smashed it in, and like was. So Super dramatic, leaves, realizes he's left his extremely expensive leather jacket inside. He's got to, like, humbly walk back in and, you know, sneak it out and, you know, do that walk of shame. Uh, Yeah. Eating the owl when he ran away from home. No, he he escaped from, like, juvenile detention. Oh, that's right. He escaped from juvie. He's hiding down by the river and he's got to kill and eat an owl because he's hungry. And I, I asked him, I said, Bob... What's owl taste like? He's like, it's not as good as crow. Yeah. What did he? No, I remember him saying, he's like, it's real greasy. <laughs> it's like, Jesus. Uh, but it was funny when he talked about him and his friends, because, you know, they were probably like t- teenagers, right? Um, they would, because it was still like within a town, you know, it wasn't like just in the woods somewhere, but they would sneak to Safeway and like, grab steaks and shit and then go camp out and just eat these expensive ass steaks in the woods. It's like toasted well, over a campfire. Yeah, while while dodging the authorities. Um <laughs> God, I loved his stories so much. He's a great guy. Great dude. Miss him a lot. But um Yeah, and then we've got dinner on the oven. So the second that timer beeps, we are ceasing our conversation. We're gonna baste and then we're going to come back down. And, and then record. we might do something with the chicken, but... Just the, that kind of perverted talk is not allowed here, John. What? That's true. We talk about dicks all the time. <laughs> um, we run... Yeah. Huh? We run ourselves out of... Uh... Run ourselves out of chat topics, or no, that is not true. I was trying to think about stories with dicks. <laughs> oh <laughs> boy, don't get me started. No, not like <laughs> there that. There is that one time at Ensenada that. No, John. No. Uh, oh shit! I think I just read something about Italian par- Parliament accidentally played a thirty-second clip from Pornhub of like fantasy, Final Fantasy porn or something Accidental, like that. sure. Accidental. <laughs> Said members of Parliament were horrified with a 30-second clip. So, yeah, we'll see about that. So the number of Pornhub hits, like, spiked <sighs> right after Parliament got out of session. <laughs> Remember that time when that those senators were, were f- like, pictures were taken of them just watching Pornhub during, <laughs> during, <laughs> during like... During some kind of Senate deliberation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I mean, you know, USA, who doesn't man. do that? But <laughs> Who doesn't, my man? Well, I don't. Be real careful with the tabs on my Zoom calls. <laughs> oh, no. 
It's like, uh, I'm going to share my screen, but give me a second. <laughs> click, 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 click. And scene. <laughs> no. Yep. Never. I've never watched porn at work. Never really thought to. I don't think I've ever actually witnessed anybody watching porn in public. I think the closest that I saw was like some dude in an airplane reading some like very well it was a graphic novel but very explicit it was like basically porn it was like bro are you fucking serious you just you had to bring your fucking manga on with your it's manga porn on a fucking airplane i don't know he looked like he was 30 we don't do it at work because our it people just have absolutely no sense of humor you know so i keep it to clean (laughs) stuff like wikipedia maybe maybe look at the news it's about as lurid as it gets where i work and ironically i i you know spoiler alert i'm doing the american plan which was this like thing this like war against sex female sexuality but listening to factually um the adam conover podcast and his he had a guest on and they were talking about women's medicine throughout you know ancient history till now and i mean they didn't cover everything obviously but just the fucking crazy ideas they had about the uterus and specifically Hippocrates. They talked about, you know, I guess this is like a little bit pre before they started dissecting, um, you know, where he thought that the, the uterus just floated around the body when it wasn't pregnant because it was sad. It was looking for like some sort of form of was, nourishment or empty. something. It, it was fulfillment. empty. You know, they talk about like, Oh, the uterus is hungry. It's always hungry for for a baby, you know, like you've always gotta feed it. And it wild shit about female medicine over over the ages clearly has gotten a lot better. But then they talked about too like endometriosis. They said like, uh, oh my god, hold on, I'll tell the story and then we gotta get the chicken. Uh endometriosis, she said, you know, symptoms of that has have existed since before Hippocrates, and it wasn't until the nineteen twenties that they actually gave it a name. And that I guess even today still it takes an average of ten to twelve years for for a woman to be diagnosed with endometriosis. So yeah. It just you know, showing we've still got maybe a, a, a long ways to go, but not to get too deep into that. We got a chicken to deal with and then we will begin our stories. Alright, chicken things have been done. Timer is set for 20 minutes. We're not um, proud of it. Okay, <laughs> shut up. The chicken was already stuffed, John. Anyway, uh, so yeah, if you want to cover yours, go for it, my man. Sure, uh, keep with a Kansas-themed topic. Um, I decided to cover a period of time in Kansas history called Bleeding Kansas. Uh, between 1854 and 1859, Kansas suffered a series of violent civil confrontations fueled by the political and ideological debate over the legality of slavery in the proposed state. Also known as Bloody Kansas and the Border War, this conflict was characterized by years of electoral fraud, raids, assaults, and murders that spilled over into neighboring Missouri. The Kansas Historical Society documents 56 political killings during the period, and there may have been as many as 200. This period has long been considered a tragic prelude, uh, essentially an overture to the larger and wider later Civil War of 1861 to 1865. And given 
such a colorful period, there were all kinds of very, very strange individuals who, who were involved on both sides of this matter. Uh, you had one group called the Border Ruffians. They were pro-slavery advocates. Mm-hmm. A lot of them came in uh, from Missouri and, and either settled in the territory or would conduct raids into it or commit election fraud by saying they were Kansas residents. But actually, you know, just moving back and forth across the border from Missouri. On the other side uh, were settlers known as free staters. They were abolitionists, anti-slavery supporters. And most of them didn't travel. They went to Kansas and homesteaded. So they didn't move around a lot. Uh, they, they stayed in their areas because they, they wanted to live there. And they wanted to live in a free state, not a slave state. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had a cat that people prob- probably heard of called John Brown. Uh, he was an abolitionist leader. He was active in the territory from June 1855 to September 1856. He brought along his adult sons, Owen, Frederick, Salmon, and John Jr. Uh, Brown himself later got executed in 1859 for his actions at Harper's Ferry, Virginia. But this guy had 21 kids. Holy shit. Yeah, he, he brought along his adult kids to Kansas in 1855 and 1856, and he had his own infantry squad with him, you know. Um, he had a couple of presidents during this period of time. He had President Franklin Pierce from 1852 to 1856. He was very much supported slavery. He was replaced in 1856 election by President James Buchanan Jr., who also really supported slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the territorial governor, Andrew Reeder, appointed by President Franklin Pierce, served from uh, July 7th, 1854 to August 16th, 1855, got fired. Uh, apparently, he wasn't pro-slavery enough. Uh, he had to leave the state in disguise because of the disgrace. <laughs> oh, snap. Um, and then he was replaced by territorial governor Wilson Shannon, who was another pro-Southern and slavery advocate, wonder of wonders, uh, also appointed by President Pierce, who served from the 16th of August 1855 to the 18th of August 1856, and also got fired by Pierce. Um, you had Charles W. Dow, who's a free stater, first man to be killed in the territory, shot and killed by Franklin Coleman, <laughs> who happened to be a pro-slavery settler, but apparently these two guys had a long-standing personal feud that wasn't related to politics. But he's counted as the first free stater murdered in bloody Kansas. So the general situation is the Kansas Territory was officially established in 1855. And it had already been a focus of partisan politics over the slavery question. It's focused upon whether Kansas would be admitted into the Union as a slave state, as neighboring Missouri had been in 1821, or as a free state. People of both factions had been settling the territory for decades. You know what's crazy is there's there's like a you know some of the stories we've been doing. It's it's crazy how much that topic has come up actually when there's like the fight over who what side are they going to be on? You know, are they going to be a slaveholding state or not? And that seems to be so much contention right around this time of the states that are being named. You know, that are coming into to statehood basically. Yeah, and Kansas was the big one. The press of the day used Kansas question as a framework for the decades-long debate over the larger issue of slavery in the entire United States. Uh, The first overall election, November 1854, to decide upon a non-voting delegate to Congress from the territory was marred by hundreds of pro-slavery supporters coming in from neighboring Missouri to vote. They counted 1,729 fraudulent votes Holy versus 1,114 legitimate ones. 
this electoral tension continued with two partisan territorial legislatures being elected. It's like, oh, we got a pro-slavery legislature mm -hmm. and an anti-slavery legislature. And of course, which one is the president and the, and the Senate going to ratify? The pro-slavery one. Yeah. Uh, it... So you had the pro-slavery one was in Lecompton, Kansas, and the abolitionists went ahead and elected their own in Topeka. Uh, President Pierce, pro-slavery guy, refused to recognize the abolitionist Topekans who had drafted the first territorial constitution, anti-slavery, of course, and declared them insurrectionist. A congressional committee in 1856 sent to the territory indeed confirmed that the Lecompton legislature was fraudulent and their mm -hmm. pro-slavery Lecompton constitution was bogus, but neither the president nor the Senate did anything about it. Sure. So nevertheless, with both the presidents and the majority in the Senate over this period being heavily pro-slavery, the free staters could get little traction mm -hmm. in Washington. They relied upon the nationwide support of prominent abolitionists such as Henry Ward Beecher and Harriet Beecher Stowe, the anti-slavery societies like the New England Emigrant Aid Company and the abolitionist press. In 1858, a third document, the Leavenworth Constitution, was written and passed by free state delegates. It would have extended suffrage, that is the vote, mm -hmm. to every male citizen and had other radical proposals that many free staters opposed. It died in committee. The fourth and final Wyandotte Constitution 1859 represented the anti-slavery view of the future of Kansas, and it was approved by referendum by a vote of 10,421 to 5,530, It was, but it was left unconfirmed by the heavily pro-slavery U.S. Senate. When the senators from the seceding southern states left in January 1861, Kansas was immediately admitted into the Union as a free state. The conflict that happened during Bloody Kansas typically proceeded as actions by one side intended to outrage the other side, which were then followed by escalating reactions, ever yeah. descending spiral like gang warfare. Oh, yeah. they got one of our guys. We're going to go out and get five of their guys. Yeah. And it was literally gang warfare, as I'll get into, as I'll get into a little bit later in my piece. But... Um, no law enforcement organizations outside of the local partisan militias, you know, who are elected pro-state, pro-slavery or anti-slavery, um, or and county sheriffs, which were elected in the same fashion, ever attempted to apprehend malefactors or quell the violence. Not even the army, even though as a territory, Kansas was ostensibly under federal control. So sorry, you did it. You like sorry. Yeah. Good thirty seconds. You're just like. That paper was stuck. Sorry. They just, you know, I can't feel much of my fingers anymore. So it's sometimes it's a real pain in the butt. Because that's all I do at work all day long is try to peel, peel papers to, uh, apart. Sorry. So some of the the major events and battles uh, began uh, with the uh, Wakarusa War, which was November 21st, 1855 in, in Lawrence, which is in Douglas County, Kansas. This is all in what we would consider nowadays eastern Kansas. Yeah. They had an armed standoff between free staters and border ruffians incited by Dow's murder. Remember him? First guy got killed. Mm -hmm. Everybody was kind of wrapped around the axle yeah. over that. And so they had an armed standoff, but there were no casualties. This is early November 1855. So then things kind of simmer and boil along. you got to remember the press is going nuts over anything that happens in Kansas. Sure. You know, they didn't have an internet, they didn't have, they didn't have uh, YouTube, they didn't have Facebook, but they did have newspapers. Mm -hmm. Most people that could read did read, and they read a bunch. Yeah. So when news of this stuff got out to the telegraph lines, it would immediately be picked up by all the papers in the country, whether it was uh, pro-slavery or anti-slavery. And mm -hmm. this just, everybody was hang on what was going on 
in in Kansas territory. Yeah. So the next big the next big one was on the twenty first of May of eighteen fifty six is the sacking of Lawrence, Kansas. Pro-slavery men, some from Missouri, invaded the town, burned the Free State Hotel and the house of Charles L. Robinson, who was the elected, the, the pro, uh, sorry, anti-slavery governor of the territory, destroyed the offices of the Kansas Free State and Herald of Freedom newspapers and looted various homes and stores. Jesus. The attack was in response to the shooting of a pro-slavery sheriff, Samuel J. Jones, who had come into Lawrence back in April to arrest some Free Staters on what they felt were trumped up, trumped up charges. Mm-hmm. He didn't, he didn't die, but he basically had to leave town. He had a bullet hole in him. Uh, the pro-slavery group, the Kickapoo Rangers, used a six-pounder brass cannon, the old Sacramento, which was a trophy for the Mexican-American War that they'd earlier stolen out of Liberty uh, Armory in Liberty, Missouri. They used it to try to blow the hotel down, and it didn't work. I don't think the cats had the skills to use it. Um, they later ran off. Uh, the cannon was later recovered about six months later by an anti-slavery faction and returned to Leavenworth, Kansas. Um, during the entire sacking of Lawrence, was a city of about well, city a town of about three hundred people, uh, one of the attackers got killed and one Free State man was wounded. Mm-hmm. We go immediately to the very next day with the caning of Charles Sumner. Charles Sumner, United States Senate is an abolitionist senator from Massachusetts. Summer was savagely beaten and badly injured with a cane wielded by pro-slavery congressman Preston Brooks from South Carolina. Two days before, Sumner had taken to the floor to denounce slavery and humiliate his support, humiliate its supporters, among them Brooks's cousin, South Carolina Senator Andrew Butler, in his Crimes Against Kansas speech, in which he accused them of lying in bed with the harlot of slavery, oh among goodness. other lurid charges. Uh, Preston Brooks was never charged, and they also uh, supporters, uh, slavery supporters, sent him hundreds of canes. Some of them inscribed oh with my "Beat God. him again" on this on them. Familiar? Was this? Did I was this on a drunk history? This might be have been yes. on a drunk history. Okay, this was on cool. a drunk history. Good. Did you? Is that where you got your research from? No, I got it from the Kansas Historical Society. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the next thing to go down. It was just a couple of days after that was the Potawatomi Massacre in Franklin County, Kansas. Uh, John Brown, remember him? Mm-hmm. Violent abolitionist, very, very anti-slavery. Yeah. And his son, John Jr., one of his sons, with a company of free state militiamen, dragged James P. Doyle and his adult sons, William and Drury, members of the pro-slavery Law and Order Party of Rhode Island, out of their house and hacked them to death with broadswords. Holy shit. Doyle's 16-year-old son was released. Fuck. The abolitionist then went to the home of Alan Wilkinson and murdered him again with swords. Oh, my God. I guess they didn't think these cats were worth the price of bullets, but hacked them with broad, military broadswords. Then they went uh, to a cabin on down the river, dragged out and murdered a guest staying there, one William Sherman, again with swords. Holy Total of five shit. pro-slavery men killed. Uh, the Battle of Asa, Asawatomi happened on August 30th, 1856. 
About 300 border ruffians led by John W. Reed attacked the town of Osawatomie, settled by Free Staters. John Brown, again, whose son Frederick was shot by the ruffians, tried to defend the town with a group of about 40 Free Staters, but was forced to withdraw. Reed and his ruffians then looted and burned the town. Five border ruffians were wounded, five Free Staters were killed, several more were wounded, and about a dozen were taken prisoner by the ruffians. God, Kansas is out of control. And it, and it really was, but this was a microcosm of the struggle uh, in people's hearts and minds uh, for uh, and against slavery. Yeah. And there were uh, a lot of different factors in play. There were economic factors in play. There was human morality factors in play. But Kansas was the stage onto which all of these things got projected. Yeah. And we don't hear much about it nowadays because we all know how it ended. Yeah. We had a civil war that lasted for four years. And bloody Kansas has always been looked at as a Mm run-up to that. I mean, obviously, it immediately got overshadowed by the secession in January 1861, the ensuing civil war that began in April. Um, You know, in front of hundreds of thousands of people killed and the Mm -hmm. the horrible damage done in the States, a few hundred people in Kansas didn't really stack up against it. But it's, uh, it's important to understand that something written very small like some insignificant territory yeah. off on the back ass of nowhere can suddenly just blossom and explode into uh, a total total national outrage. Oh yeah, isn't isn't Kashmir kind of have that issue or or am yeah I, yeah. Sorry, just to throw out like the yeah, one little thing that between, I know. Between India and Pakistan, you've got the line of total control, the line of absolute control between India and China, which is just over the mountains yeah. from there. And cats have been killing each other with clubs and yeah. rocks because they're just, they sign a cord. We would use no firearms. We would bring no firearms up there. Yeah. They didn't say we weren't going to kill motherfuckers. Yeah. We just said we weren't going to use guns and artillery and mortars and stuff like that. Seems so like they, quite the loophole. They literally run back and forth across this mountain, 16,000 foot altitude. Is this the one where most of them end up just dying from exposure because it's, it's so desolate? Like you can't even really do anything up there. Yeah, I mean, you can't even get rescue helicopters up there. Helicopters yeah, will like fly on that they're stuff. They're both fighting over who gets to say it's theirs. It's yeah, literally incredible. one boulder field on one side of the river versus another boulder field on the other side of the river. Guys with baseball bats and sticks and rocks. Isn't that because the the top, is that a topographer? Is that what you call them? People that make maps. Um. So yeah, somebody got lazy back when they split um, India and Pakistan and China up, and you know the white guy couldn't be bothered to, you know, no one's ever gonna go up there. Yeah. There's nothing up there for anybody who cares. Oops. Forgetting that whoops a daisy, they it they care. Yep. And it's a proxy war. It, it's what India and China and on the other side, India and Pakistan really want to do with each other, you know, but instead of using nuclear weapons and tanks and bombers and, and ships at sea, they kind of f- try to focus their efforts on this little patch of desolate ground, yeah. 5,000 meters altitude that nobody would otherwise give three fucks about. There's yeah. nothing up there and no way to get it down from there, even if there was, but like that, bloody Kansas was that for the United States right before the Civil War started. It didn't cause the Civil War, but it was kind of the opening number. Yeah. You know, it wasn't that events in Kansas immediately ignited. It was just that that's kind of where it, uh, where people's passions played out and what people focused upon until finally somebody in the South had had enough 
and they seceded from the Union. And then yeah. Kansas immediately became a backwater again. Yeah. There were a couple really minor battles fought there in the Civil War. And beyond that, um, there wasn't really much going on in, in Kansas until Reconstruction. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's people have still written and produced films and teleplays and stuff about Bloody Kansas. It's captured the imaginations of a lot of people. Um, you have a famous movie by John Ford, uh, directed by John Ford, called Santa Fe Trailer, Trail, starring Ronald Reagan, Errol Flynn, and Raymond Massey. All right. Concerning John Brown's campaign in Kansas. And then later in the movie Seven Angry Men in 1955, Raymond Massey reprises his role as John Brown. Oh. I, that's one that I haven't seen in a long, long time. I used to watch those old westerns with my granddad. And then yeah. uh, actually a more modern program, Hell on Wheels, episode 11, season 4, called Bleeding Kansas, depicts in part a white family being slain for having slaves, who are then the slaves who are then freed in the name of religion. Oh, interesting. Okay, I... I I kind of like wanted to start Hell on Wheels and then I never did. I still might, maybe, but I don't know. You've spoiled it for me. No. Yeah, one episode <laughs> out of four seasons, sure. And then uh, I, there's a popular book that came out not terribly long ago called The Good Lord Bird, which got turned into a small, uh, small miniseries starring Ethan Hawke. Oh. And there's many many scholarly books and historical research and historical novel fiction novels set during the period of time. It's kind of interesting like it's it's so important but you know it's not it's not really stressed how important it is it's too bad anyway that's uh that's my bit on bloody kansas nice you think bono will sing a song about it i hope not okay all right <laughs> we're gonna go check a chicken keep your filthy jokes to yourself okay where we have basted the chicken all as well all right so for me again i as a last minute thing, I uh, I sort of accidentally thought this was about Kansas, and it's definitely not specifically about Kansas, though technically counts, because it's something called the American Plan, which covers the whole United States, so I feel a little embarrassed that it's not totally about Kansas, so I started a podcast, or I heard it, I don't know, maybe a year ago, but it was a history channel, it was This Week in History, and they covered the American Plan. So the reason I associated it with it is because the story they start with is these two girls in Kansas that get arrested. So I, for some reason, had it in my mind that the two were linked and they're kind of non-specifically linked. Anyway, so Kansas, the American plan. Uh, though many laws had been put in place in America when it came to female sexuality and body autonomy, in 1918, the chamberlain Con Act was passed to com uh, combat prostitution and help stop the spread of STIs uh, sexually transmitted infections among soldiers during World War I, which resulted in the decades that followed uh, the arrest and incarceration of tens of thousands of women across the United States. Um, it allowed for law enforcement everywhere to arrest women deemed suspicious and performed mandatory examinations that could ultimately land them in jail or a rehabilitation facility. So this was initiated by the War Department and later coordinated as a nationwide effort through government agencies. Yeah, it's a lot. So, before there were treatments available for um, STDs, STIs, um, vaccines of any kind, the military tried other methods to prevent infection, despite the diseases being fairly common amongst people. In 1778, the U.S. Army would fine officers $10 and enlisted men $4 if they were found to have an infection. Um, 
1814, they required infected soldiers to pay for their own treatment and lose pay for the time off that they took. So it's incredible. I'm sure the army just worked them like fucking dogs, right? Like you can never work too much, but you can work too little. Um, by World War One, they were taking more of a shame approach, which sort of worked, but not really. And I don't know when this was made, but fucking Disney made a little animated short about venereal diseases for for the troops. Like they were Probably commissioned for, World for this. War II, like 1943. <sighs> Probably or something. it kind of looks like that because it's. Oh yeah, because World War One, I, I, the first Disney movie I think was in the 30s. So yeah. Um, but yeah, so they were still playing it in 1987. Yeah, but were they? Real? Did you watch it? Yes. You watched the Disney animated short where it's like a little virus and a little army helmet. Yep. Oh my god, dude! This thing blew my mind. I only took about I think about seven minutes, and then I was like, A, I don't have time, and B, I don't fucking care enough. But they were like, you know, putting little circles over like, you know, humans have holes in their bodies. No. <laughs> and then it like Just puts a circle talking. over the crotch and a circle over the head, which is like, you know. Um, and then it's like showing where they can infect and it's just X's on the crotches on these like, you know, bathroom outline figures. It's, it's fucking mind blowing. I don't know. I'm in my third week of basic training. So we're still under the terror of the drill sergeants and everybody, everybody who's watching this, it's literally a videotape on a television sitting in an old classroom at Fort. So we're trying not to laugh. And not succeeding. And more and more guys are being dragged out back to be forced to do push-ups and stuff because you're supposed to sit eyes front silently. Yeah. But even the drill sergeants were laughing oh a little God, bit. Fuck it. They're, they're all probably like, remember when we had to watch this? What a bunch of bullshit. Um, uh, and then it was funny, too, because like in the little ru- like roulette thing. I almost said Russian roulette. In the little roulette <laughs> thing. Um, Some of them gals at like, Fort Sill. <laughs> there was a big circle and then four little circles around the big circle. And every time it spun, it made, it kept like a little Mickey head. You know what I mean? Where it was <laughs> right. like, that is so fucked. Do you want the Mickey head in the VD video? It's for marketing. The Army? It's great marketing. Fucking oh, mind control propaganda shit, man. <laughs> for 15 years later, when they open up Disneyland, you know, th- this would be in the mind of all the those veterans who survived World War II, it's like, yes, follow the mouse. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and then I did accidentally stumble across another, like, black and white 1940s, you know, guy skips out, like, hey, pal, I'm about to go on leave. And then he goes down to a bar, and he's like, how you doing, doll? You want to have some beers with me? And I couldn't take much of that shit either. I was like, <laughs> I fucking can't. Um but yeah, so it, it's just funny to watch like the efforts of like the evils of loose women. It feels like a little bit. Um, even at the beginning of the Civil War, when physicals were done to men to gauge their health, most of them already had STIs, specifically syphilis and gonorrhea. Um, commanders were worried it might impact, you know, what their the diseases would have on the war effort, and then immediately blamed. And this is like in quotes because somebody said it: "Empty-headed girls drawn to the troops." Again, it's just like the women's fault for whatever. But so the first real effort was done around the Civil War, I guess, where they tried to make moral zones where no alcohol or scandalous women were allowed within a five mile radius of the bases. (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah. Uh, During World War One, venereal diseases were seen as put by the the Surgeon General of the time. 
the greatest cause of disability to the army. An example of how fraught the community was over the STIs, a woman wrote the War Department and she said, Shoot the lewd women as you would shoot the worst German spy. They do more damage than all the spies. So people did not like girls just out there having a good time. And that it was the women, again, just the women's fault. Um, sex work, of course, is controversial. So brothels had been run in cities and then shut down. Sex work in many places, they weren't, it wasn't quite necessarily illegal, but there were fi definitely philosophical debates about it. So some felt like it should be outlawed outright because of their own superstitious beliefs about morality. And then others believed that a woman was you know, free to do with her body as she pleased. And then not to mention they felt that it, <laughs> this is crazy that they felt it served a type of necessity to the community that like it was serving a real purpose. Um, so to speak, uh, there were many city ordinances that declared sex work legal. So long as the women underwent medical examinations, uh, licensure and paid their taxes. Amen. Um, I don't know about you. Well, we've had philosophical debates about it, but I think we're both of the mind of just fucking legalizing and get it over with. Uh, of course, that type of thinking had opponents. Uh, the U.S. had hundreds of Magdalen houses at this point, which this is a place. Now, like they took off in Ireland. They really took off in Ireland. They took off here, but I don't they didn't have quite the same hold over women here as they did in Ireland. It was way worse. And if you're looking to be super fucking depressed, go watch the Magdalen sisters. And that it's it's the worst. Um Anyway, so this is where scandalous women were sent to live with nuns in the hopes that they would choose God over their sinful life. Uh, sex workers were viewed as naturally immoral and that they shouldn't have any safeguards because they were corrupt by nature. Uh, others thought that women were sex workers because they'd been lured into it by evil men. So when World War I started, the men started being examined and coming up positive for all these diseases again in their nether bits. And the immediate thought was that it was those, you know, those little sluts out there. And it also was thought like, well, if soldiers are coming in that are already diseased and, you know, they're out of, you know, they're out of the control of the moral zones. So they were like, well, let's just blanket the entire country as one giant one moral, giant zone, moral for, zone for the protection that's gonna work of even, our men. That's going to work even better, right? It should be smooth sailing. So with the help of the War Department, uh, the many branches of the government came together to create the American Plan, or um, technically it's known as the Chamberlain Connect. But the plan is just a little too large to operate as one entity, so through model laws that were written, they encouraged states to adopt their own practices to keep the troops safe. So f model laws, you know... Here's a series of parameters Thank that you. we want done on a state-by-state -state basis, and you states go out and figure out your own laws and your own legislature, your own constitution, do it your way as long as you meet the minimum standards. I guess what I'm thinking of is more of like, insert state here, and then just here's the law. Boiler and you plate, can either, yeah. Yeah, so like you can... <laughs> it's a dog. You can either... Like you can either keep the wording exact, or you can you know, add your own little cute flares so to it if add, you want. Add to, but not subtract from. Yes. Like here's the minimum of, of what you, we need you to do. This isn't, you know, just an example of what you can do. You can either take it as is, uh, 
and just, you know, stamp it into your law books. Yeah, or you can uh, jazz it up for what better suits your own communities. And what's great about that is that you get to add all kinds of horse shit and nonsense yeah. on it. Nope, uh, the government told us we had to do this. And so every axe gets ground and every every little piece of local locally desired social control legislation suddenly slides in under this act. Yeah. Um, so yeah, some do use the model laws, um, some leave it unchanged. Oh, like I said, yeah, I already went over that. Sorry. And one of the biggest issues was with the wording in the law that said reasonably suspicious. So you could target women that you felt were reasonably suspicious, which meant if you had a vagina, you could be arrested and held. And that went unfortunately triple if you were a minority and any reasonably suspicious Anything reasonably suspicious could range from walking alone or walking with a man, eating alone or eating with a man, buying alcohol alone, buying alcohol with a man. So anything you did by yourself or with uh, a man or somebody of the opposite sex, because technically it was supposed to be, you know, gender neutral or, you know, they uh, right. unbiased, right? <laughs> um but there, the, the most extreme example was a woman that was eating in a restaurant alone. That was her crime. She was sitting there eating alone, and they arrested her, and they held her for seven days. And uh, she ended up testing negative, but, you know, it, it it's bad news. So the laws dictated that women needed to be held until cured or deemed safe to reenter the public and continue treatment outside of the facility. Um, an important thing to note is that local jails would become too filled with women and that separate structures needed to be built just to house them all. So many reports indicate that the conditions there would be even worse than a jail. So just like really dirty, really gross, understaffed, you know, food is disgust. It's just your typical shit of they're basically being in jail for Sus being suspicious, you know, or maybe they did have an STI and that was their great crime. Um, so treatment for the diseases were no better. The only thing at the time that they had, and this is pre-penicillin, is mercury and arsenic injections, basically. You know, Salversan, they called it. Yeah. Back in the 20s. So Dr. Ronald Gold, a physician from the 30s, was quoted as saying, mercury plus arsenic treatment may have killed as many patients as syphilis. Um, over the decades, many women were arrested and held and examined because of reasonable, uh, the reasonable suspicion, oh my goodness, uh, loophole to harass them. Promiscuity was often linked with sex work, so there was little sympathy, and occasionally a man would be arrested, but again, it was mainly targeted towards women, um, and especially as time went on. So one police officer said, this is a real quote, Men take more precautions and are more particular about treatment and prophylaxis. Women are very negligent and take treatment only for the relief of pain or under compulsion. One woman will affect 10 men for every one woman that will inf that one man will infect. Just can yep. you imagine that coming out? Like if you knew somebody that said this, like you would stare at them like they were like oh I don't know on fire. from the 19 yeah from 1918 or something. Um, the American plan was about policing female sexualities, plain and simple, especially considering that this was a time when women were moving away from their families. They were gaining their own financial independence and wages. Uh, the reason people didn't like it, especially men who were making all the rules and taking none of the responsibility was that these women were lost and needed their innocence protected. Um, never mind the socioeconomic failures that really got them there. 
In some places, women were given an IQ test once they arrived to a facility or jailed, and if they were thought feeble-minded, they would be sterilized. And others uh, might be sent to solitary confinement or corporal punishment. The American plan picked up even more steam in World War II. The government made new centers or repurposed their old ones to make rapid treatment centers in which women were actually given quick fixes to penicillin, which, I mean, it did help. Thank God they found penicillin. Um, And again, were men arrested? Absolutely not. So these facilities, uh, though the women weren't under arrest for having committed a crime, were surrounded by bars, electric fencing, and barbed wire. And some women did fight back, like, even if they were wayward girls, by starting riots and even sometimes setting the place on fire. So at least five facilities, at least five facilities were burned down by some badass bitches. Yeah. So though just about every single woman arrested was working class, it's really important to note that in the cities with higher minorities, uh, the darker a person's skin color, the longer their treatment would be. And they'd have to serve more time in these internment camps. And especially with racist biology that existed in the day, you know, the the horrible measuring of skulls and, oh, they don't have pain receptors. And, well, a, woman, a woman's uterus, you know, for a black woman is different. Or, oh, black women pass it off uh, at greater rates because of their anatomy, you know, because it's different. Like, just this, this terrible time period for medicine a little bit. Um So real quick, I am going to cover a specific story. So this girl, her name was Nina McCall in 1918. She is 18 years old in Michigan, and she's a grandchild of immigrants. She's leaving the post office one morning, and there's an officer waiting for her. And he tells her that she is suspected of having a venereal disease. And she's terrified. They let her go home to tell her mom what's going on. She's like crying. She doesn't know what to do. And... Uh, she's forced to undertake an examination, of course, and it actually causes her to bleed. And apparently this was another issue was, you know, the women's bodies were actually being damaged from some of these examinations because these are people who are not necessarily trained. And I don't know if they did physicians. And again, women's health at this time is like not great. You know, there's controversy over like, uh, you know, male physicians looking how dare you look into a woman you know the eye of her vagina it's you know how could Love you that song by the way the eye of the, vagi- eye of the of vagina, vagina the- <laughs> damn it john this is serious um anyway so you know it would not shock me if somebody was doing this procedure and it wasn't and they weren't necessarily trained because because they or were sanitary, I know, or fucking you know just spit on it and just you know rub it clean or something. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, have the dog lick it clean. Uh, that was really gross. I'm sorry. So anyway, um, the doctor tells her that she is slightly infected with gonorrhea, which makes no sense. And a lot of women are getting these kinds of diagnoses where. They're flat fucking virgins. They're like, I have never had sex before. And they're like, no, you have syphilis. And then shaming women. And because you don't want to pronounce to everybody that you have syphilis. So even if you are a virgin, you know, now you have to undergo these fucking treatments. You have to go and get mercury and arsenic into your body. Which are dangerous to your health. Exactly. And it's like, you didn't fucking do anything other than, oh, I don't know. You were walking you know, you were standing on a corner too long and somebody didn't like it because of their own bigotries. So anyway, 
she tells the doctor that she can't be because she's a virgin. And the doctor, who is a really monstrous dick, kind of like comes at her. Like he, he just raises his voice and he says, young lady, do you mean to call me a liar? And she's basically like, I sure do. So she was um, basically coerced and she had to commit herself um, to a hospital. And she had to do that because her options otherwise were fucking ridiculous. So if she did not commit herself to a hospital, she would have to pay a fine, which was a $200 fee basically for bail, which in the day would be $3,500. Oh, yeah. And all you did was not have an STD. <laughs> and you get to pay $3,500, you know, dollars essentially. Yeah, I, I look at it as comparable to modern stop and frisk laws where you can just really use this as an excuse to put the hammer down on, on a minority community or on a particular neighborhood under the pretext of, you know, national security and, and moral purity. Yeah, and it's crazy cause, too because, like I said, in, in areas that were heavier with, with minority groups um, is that the detention center in those areas – it would be like 90% people of color typically, you know, versus of course just middle America where it's, you don't have, or you have lower populations of minority groups where it's predominantly just, just white ladies. But anyway, uh, so Nina McCall, right. So yeah. Oh, and then if she had done that where she had paid the fine and didn't, you know, didn't want the treatment, they would have put a big red placard up above her her family's door that said venereal disease. So then they would have had the heavy fucking shame component of... Scarlet letter. Yeah, now we're even more broke. Like, they're already poor immigrants, and then they'd have that, like, on their their door. And again, they couldn't afford it, so she just had to go and get the treatment. So once at the Bay City Hospital, um, she had to share her room with three other women, and they had to do hard labor. So they also forced her to take the mercury arsenic treatment um her teeth got loose and then her hair started to fall out so she was forced to stay there for three months um police were playing on their own bigotries like i said in bigger cities with oh shit i already talked about that sorry so nina finished her sentence but she was ostracized basically from her community and she was chastised because of her unlawful imprisonment so she gets a job in another town but then is forced um or she's fired you know as soon as they find out about her incarceration so she was told by her probation officer that she needed to continue her outpatient treatment of mercury and arsenic they just wanted to keep giving it to her um and then wanted to give her also regular examinations to i don't know just fucking keep an eye on her so luckily she receives from some help from a local woman who hears about nina um she's known as being a christian scientist which apparently like rubbed people the wrong way they didn't like her but she was like well off and she believed in nina um mccall takes her case all the all the way to the michigan supreme court and they rule in her favor but not because an injustice has been done but because the the authorities didn't meet the criteria of reasonable suspicion um and that was the only reason otherwise if the if the cops had had reasonable suspicion where they said well we saw her walking with a man that probably would have been all the that they needed to have said and then you know her her case would have been thrown out so at least mccall could stop taking the treatment but that stuff messes you up for life though yeah yeah exactly mercury is like radiation you get a life dose and yeah. it never goes away. What happens is your body kind of makes an accommodation to it. But every little bit more that you get on top of that makes you sick all over again. 
Yeah, and then uh, poor Nina, I think, you know, she eventually marries, she has kids, but the sad thing is she she outlives all of her kids. Oh, man. Um, she dies at, like, 56, oh. so I... She she didn't have a real great end and sounded like she had a pretty rough go of it. But yeah, you know, her her the only reason her case really stands out is because or that they really captured this case that you when you do look up the American plan, her story comes up is because she's one of the rare women where they actually kept track of what happened to her afterwards. Um, because some women's records just sort of go away after they enter these camps. And I don't know if it's because... I, I don't, there were no real deaths associated with this. I don't know that they even did the count. Sure. I mean, why would you? Right. But I mean, people were at the very least being hurt with these mercury injections and and stuff like that. It's, it's fucking terrible. And, you know, covering the poison squad, just what those chemicals do to you. And then to get a direct fucking shot of it into your bloodstream is uh, horrifying. And then something I didn't talk about either, um, were some of the prominent figures. Um, so like Eleanor Roosevelt was a huge supporter, believing that this was helping protect, protect against STIs. Um, let me see. Um, oh, and that even the American Medical Board and the ACLU supported it. And the ACLU did change its tune. They were a part of this group, like the Coyote Group. And I don't remember, it's something about like getting rid of outdated laws, but um, they helped get rid of some of the laws that were on the books. Um, as time passes, the plan sort of dies out. And, you know, peop- like I said, people were fighting back. Um, and then the ACLU did demand, like, hey, if you're going to keep arresting people, fine, but you need to make the- sure that this is this is unbiased, that this is like a gender neutral issue where both sexes are arrested and then you see the cases just drastically drop and like i think they said the last case like the last time judges actually used an example from the american plan to justify their sentencing of their ruling was sometime in like the 90s so they're the 90s the 90s the 90s for laws that were on the book books back in 1918 was it was this like but a little but a little ling ding 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 territory like banjo playing tennessee no, dude, I or think something this was, i think i remember this being california wow yeah so it was some justification of something um but yeah the, the laws aren't being practiced but some some of the laws are still technically on the books especially when it comes to sex work uh yeah i just fucking legalize it oh before I get too far, it's important. I give credit to one man in particular. His name is Scott W. Stern. So he's kind of like the expert. So first I found a little article and I wrote down his name, Scott Stern. I'm like, oh, cool. And then I found his Harvard paper, which was like 40 pages long. That's why it took me all fucking day today to go through it. And I left so much out. Um, but so he wrote that and then I was like, oh, I got to listen to the podcast. And I listened to the podcast and he's the fucking guest to talk about the American plan. So Scott W. Stern, I believe his name is, well, now I better double check so I'm not getting it wrong, uh, is the reason that I was able to get the information I had. Um, let's see. Uh, sexually transmitted diseases, uh, control on the armed forces, past and present. A Oh, what's ENS in military? Ensign? E N S. Yeah. As a rank and yeah. Okay, uh, Lynn A C Emerson. Uh, let's see. NewRepublic.com had some stuff. Um, University of Tennessee: The History of Prostitution in the U.S. That was by April Lynn Jackson, and I think that's everything. And I did mention the history podcast, but yeah, so that's where I got um most of my info from. And then you know you were in the army. 
you had to watch apparently that fucking Disney film and then you, oh shit. And then you had talked and uh, about the posters, like the posters in World War II, same thing, you know, don't get mixed up with a girl with gonorrhea. She'll have everything. <laughs> She'll have all the STDs. Um, wait, there was another one. Uh, oh, you can't beat the Axis if you have VD. Just some crazy propaganda shit. And you said uh, the army too was pretty upfront they would make you watch like videos of the actual what the stds looked like uh, oh yeah on some junk yeah. uh especially when we went overseas uh when, when i posted uh to germany um had to watch the vd awareness film which is about yeah. 45 minutes long and it actually i i think it actually kept people from having sex for a week or two just you know because you close your eyes and oh god it's not going away yeah uh just uh it, it i've you know since repressed these terrifying memories what it actually looked like yeah but uh yeah that was like this is 1990 yeah you know why are we still looking at this stuff in 1990 yep um but yeah, that was the American plan. Um, I feel like, like, like I said, there's so much information on it. I missed so much. I did everything last minute. I feel bad about it. But um, that pretty much covers it. Uh, and then, yeah, after this, we're just going to go eat some chicken. Maybe try to watch that last, the latest Attack on Titan episode, which yep. I'm really excited about. I'm excited for the last season. We've been waiting over a year, right? Yeah. For the last half season. This is a Game of Thrones wait time for the for last sure. half of the season, for man. A cartoon. Ooh, don't call it that, man. <laughs> they will fucking come at you with their animated knives and fucking slash you to bits, dude. Bring it. <laughs> I don't know, dude. I'm pretty sure these little nerds could, like, hack your life and, like, I don't know, fuck you up. Uh, but, yeah, I, I made the mis- mistake of calling it a cartoon and... F- fuck it, again it's it's like i broke a puppy's neck in front of a group of children or something um not there's a difference apparently so uh yes we will go watch our cartoon and we will enjoy it i will enjoy the bloodiness i will enjoy the titanness uh oh shit now i forgot my line stay safe young ones and remember if you can get it back out of the water it's amphibious Amen, brother. Goodbye.